know about you, but I was blessed by that worship. Amen. You know, whenever Christ is all to you, he takes care of all your problems. When he's all to you, he takes care of all your cares. When he's all to you, you know that he's got the whole future, all of it in his hands. Amen. We want to welcome you to Arden First Baptist. If this is your first time here, we want you to know that you're very important to us. And this is a place that where you can just feel like this is home folk and you can sit back and Enjoy God's church with God's people. Amen. Our mission here is to lead ordinary people into extraordinary life in Christ. All of us are ordinary, but we know that God has an extraordinary plan for each and every one of us. Today we're going to be in 1 Peter, and with God's help we're going to finish the book. If you are just joining us, we've been doing a verse-by-verse series through 1 Peter, and we've been on a journey discovering how God is working in our world, even when our world is full of chaos and concern and you turn on the news and you hear what's going on in France, you hear what's going on in Turkey, all around us is chaos, but we know who's in charge, right? And we know this world one day, as we know it, is going to be changed and God is going to make all things new. So today we're going to talk about the thriving church, a church that thrives. And uh, we're going to finish this off with an encouragement. And I wanted to ask you guys, just before we jump into the text, to think if you could build a perfect church, what would it look like? Who would attend your church? Who would be there? We asked this question to um, our church on Wednesday nights, and we did about 11-week series. And we met for five hours with the leadership team and a handful of others to talk about what does that look like. And you guys um, are going to be surprised at what the people said. Um, Many people said, you know, the ideal church is multicultural, multiracial, diverse. The the church should be a place where everyone feels the love of God and they experience the truth of God. So when you have the love of God and the truth of God, you have transformed lives. So just a little preview for next week. We're going to be doing a three-part series, at least three weeks, called We Have a Dream. And it's going to basically be summarizing the last two or three months we've done on Wednesday nights, and then we had a a staff retreat this past Saturday, summarizing all of those sessions together in three messages so you guys could hear what we've been talking about, because we want you guys to know that God has a vision for this church, and this church is going to go somewhere, amen? So back to the question, if you could build a perfect church, um, you know, what would it look like? All of you would have a different answer, but I hope you guys would think it's a place where Jesus is center, it's a place where God's word is preached. It's a place where lives are transformed. It's a place where you can come just as you are, but God's love transforms you right where you are, so you become someone different. And I don't know about you guys, but I am very thankful for the grace of God, because if you don't like me now, give me some time, because God is still working on me. Amen? Don't say amen to that, right? (laughs) All right, we're going to be in 1 Peter 5, and with God's help, we're going to finish the book today. Today's title is A Thriving Church, if you guys will read with me. The elders who are among you I exhort, I am also a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. And the next verse, I want you to pay attention to verse 3, it's really beautiful. It says, nor as being lords over those entrusted you, but being examples to the flock. And I think that's really beautiful how, you know, Peter's saying, listen, you've got to be a servant leader. You've got to show the example. 
And he says, and when the chief shepherd appears, talking about Jesus, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. So I love how in the first four verses he's talking to overseers, to shepherds, and he's saying, listen, it's not your flock, it's God's. So hold everything with an open hand, but do, do so with a humble spirit and a willing heart. In verse 5, he talks to the rest of the congregation. He continues on in different groups. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. And I love verse 7. It says, casting all your cares upon him, because he what? He cares for you. So no matter what anxiety you brought into church today, worries or cares, there's one who knows everything about you. And he says, you can give your concerns, your anxieties, your worries to me. I've got it under control. Verse 8, Peter gives us a warning as he closes out his book. He says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion. Notice it says a roaring lion. And he's seeking whom he may devour. So you guys may not have thought about this recently, but you and I have a real enemy. And he is watching just like a lion that's slowly creeping in the grass. But the good thing is, is we have a protector. And he's with us to help us. Verse 9, what does it say? Run away from him? No, it says resist him. Isn't it good to know that you have God living inside of you as a believer? And you can stand against the devil? Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings that you're experiencing are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Before we go to verse 10, have you guys ever felt like you were the only one going through something? If you've ever lost your job, I'm the only one who lost my job. If you ever went through a heartbreaking situation, maybe a divorce, I'm the only one, or whatever it may be. Did you know that people all around the world, the Bible says, are going through similar experiences, so you're not alone? The devil as a roaring lion is he likes to isolate you, making you feel like there's no one else struggling with what you're going through. But God looks at you and says, listen, I know exactly what you're going through, and there's other people around the world who are brothers and sisters in Christ, and they can relate to you. Verse 10, it says, But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, notice it says a while, every trial is temporary, may he perfect establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And then he closes it out with some personal greetings. By Salvanus, and the Aramaic word for that is Silas. Many of you know about Paul and Silas. That's Silas in the Bible. Our faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. She who is in Babylon, many scholars think this is the church in Rome, they also, they're elect together with you, they greet you. And so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace be to all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Father, we pray your blessing on your word as we close out First Peter today. I pray that you would help us to be encouraged. And as a church, as we talk about different groups in the church, that we'd be inspired to see where you have placed us in the body of Christ, and to operate with passion and excitement for all that you're doing in our lives. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today I want to give you a few snapshots of what a thriving church looks like. 
The first point comes from verses 1 through 4. A thriving church is led by servant leaders. If you look back in verses 1 through 4, Peter identifies himself with the elders who are among you. And he says he was a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering. It's interesting that today we live in a day of celebrities, stars, and unfortunately the church today is not exempt from that. But Peter said, listen, I am not above anyone else. I'm a fellow servant with you. And I think that's that humility heart is where every leader, every pastor, every Sunday school teacher should have. That I'm a, I'm a fellow heir with you. I'm a fellow person that's just traveling this journey together. I heard a story in the early 1700s, 1700s when our country was being founded that there was this amazing hotel in Baltimore. And this guy showed up to check out a room dressed like a farmer. And the innkeeper said, sorry, sir, but we have no room for you. The really truth is because he was dressed like a farmer. And he didn't want his clientele, the other occupants, to see that this hotel is open for anyone. Because this was a posh, high-end hotel for the 1700s. So the gentleman grabbed his one bag, walked out the door, walked down the street, and got another room at another hotel. Later on, the innkeeper found out that the man he turned away was none other than, let's see who this guy is, Thomas Jefferson. So what would you do if you were the innkeeper that turned away this amazing man in our, in our country's history? Well, according to the story, he wrote him a little letter, and he was basically saying, you know, I'm so sorry, I didn't realize it was you. And please accept my apology, and please accept this, this stay in this special room. And Thomas Jefferson responded, if you have no room for a country farmer, then you have no room for a president of the United States. So I want you to think about that. One guy showed humility that he wasn't anyone special. The other guy said, well, there's not a place for you. And I want you to think about us. Sometimes we treat people differently by externals, by the way we look, by the way we dress, by the way we act. But when we look at people through the eyes of Jesus, we see everybody on whom your eyes lay as someone for whom Christ died. And there's no room for pride when you realize I'm just as much in need of God's grace as anyone else. Amen? So we need God's grace. So he's given this example to the fellow elders. And he said, listen, you know, I'm in this with you. I'm a fellow elder. And I love that Peter didn't pull the apostle card. He didn't say, I'm an apostle, you're just an elder. But he said, I'm with, I'm with you in this. That would be like the equivalent of Billy Graham saying, uh, you know, Pastor Timothy and I have touched a lot of lives together. As you know, I'm in nowhere near the league of Billy Graham, but it would be the humility that Billy Graham would even say, you know, we're impacting lives for the gospel. And I'm like, well, who am I? This is Billy Graham. That was the attitude that Peter had. And if we want to have this attitude for Christ, we've got to have our hearts open and humble. Because as we mentioned, whenever pride walks on the stage, God walks off the stage. And he wants us to be humble. So what is the role of a pastor? A lot of people ask that because you guys don't really hang out in my office or see, see what Adam or Steve and I are do. It's funny, when I was uh, working at Lake Hills uh, serving on staff there, I had this lady that volunteered in the office. And she left saying, man, I'm glad you guys actually do work. And she was here. She said, I thought you guys only worked on Sundays. And I'd be like, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> Go to the golf course all week, show up on Sunday, here's a sermon. And she's like, I'm glad you guys actually work because 
and, she, and this lady was in her 60s. She's like, I thought pastors only worked on Sunday and Wednesdays. I'm like, sign me up for that if that's the case. <laughs> but I'm glad you guys asked the question. Peter addresses, here's the role of a pastor. So if you want to know what the job description of a pastor, it's fourfold from this passage. The first one is love and care for the flock. Notice that he says shepherd the flock. So part of a pastor's role is to love and care for the flock. And part of that is teaching, and part of that is the care ministry. Have you guys ever noticed a lot of pastors are usually good at one or the other? You have some pastors that are really good with care ministry. They're great with hospital visitation, but maybe they're not great with teaching. Or they're really a great teacher, but they're not really good with with care ministry. You notice Peter doesn't let a pastor out. He's like, you've got to excel at both. You've got to shepherd the flock. So I don't, I don't know for us pastors, we've got to step it up. Number two, lead and guide the flock. So there's a leadership aspect. People will come to pastors with questions like, what should I do in this case? What should I do in that case? And I'm still in the process of learning that sometimes people just want you to listen. And this is a good advice for men, too. Uh, whenever your wife asks you for a question, ladies, what do you, wanna, what do you want a husband to do? Listen. But us men, what do we so easily try to do? Give answers. And you know, pastors are guilty of that too. Sometimes you come for, uh, want to share your heart, and I'm like, I've got this five-step strategy, your next career plan in ten years from now, and something the Lord's been showing me is, Timothy, you just need to listen. Sometimes people doesn't want to pour their heart out, and they don't want a lot of answers. Number three, serve with gladness, diligence, and purity. Notice in the text, it says, not by compulsion, but willingly. You know, the thing is, is, being called to ministry is a glorious call because we get to invest in eternity every day. Um, it's great. So you shouldn't, a pastor shouldn't have to be coaxed to do the ministry. I mean, that's, you shouldn't be lazy, in other words. You should be willing to serve and give it all you've got. I shared with the staff um, a while back about I had a five-month stint working at a car lot. And what God taught me in that season, if pastors would work as hard as car salesmen, I mean, they're on the phone, they're morning to night, they're giving their all. Every church in America would be blowing up because they're so dedicated. And um, I just think that this is a good scripture that, man, one day you're going to give account to God. So what are you doing with your time? It shouldn't be under compulsion. And it says, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. So, you know, a lot of times the church gets a bad rap because you have certain televangelists. They'll be like, send me your twenty nine ninety nine, and God will bless you, and I'll send you this prayer cloth. And you're like... Whoa, why is it all about money? Have you guys ever noticed that on TV? The money card keeps coming out. So pastors should not be in it for the money. But they should be examples. Number four, serve with a humble servant's heart. Have you ever met somebody that was a leader or a teacher and they were cocky and prideful? You ever? Don't point anybody. But have you ever noticed that, that sometimes that happens? And Peter is saying with the influence that God gives you, realize it could be taken away in a heartbeat. All of us are just one step from stupid. You guys ever realize that? All of us are just one step away from making a stupid decision that could jeopardize everything. And we see it all the time with with people in ministry. Sometimes they make a mistake and then all of a sudden there's another pastor that got disqualified. And it's, it's a great responsibility. So there's a few imageries about sheep in the Bible. And, you know, the pastor is supposed to shepherd a flock. But have you ever thought about sheep? What they're like. I wrote down a few thoughts. It's not in your notes. But something about sheep, a positive note, is they're clean animals, unlike dogs and pigs. So sheep are clean animals. So that's a good thing. 
Um, sheep are also relational animals. Have you noticed they typically like to flock together? The funny thing is in my house, I live out in the country, and I have sheep right below my house, and they all typically hang out together. Whenever you see a sheep in the wild that goes astray, typically it's a very dangerous thing. So they do better in flocks, relationally. When you say the same is true of Christians, you see a Christian that stops going to church, and eventually they, they grow cold, and they love Jesus, but they don't like the church. You know what that's like, guys? That's like saying, I like you, Timothy, but I don't like your wife. That's not going to fly very well. So it's, it's a contradiction to say, I like Jesus, but I don't like his bride. All of men in here, if they say, I like you, but I don't like your wife, that's a major insult. If you're not friends, if you don't like my wife, you can't be friends with me, sorry. And all the men said, amen. So you guys just got brownie points with your wives right now. All right. Also, sheep are prone to wonder if they don't follow the shepherd. We see that in Isaiah 53. All we like sheep have what? We've gone astray. And the thing about sheep, that's, as I was researching sheep, is healthy sheep reproduce? How many of us are spiritually reproducing ourselves and others? What would it look like at Arden First if every year everybody led one person to Christ, discipled one person, took them under your wing, and taught them what it, what it meant to be a woman or a man of God? What would that look like? What would that look like in churches across America if everybody led one person every year to Christ? Wouldn't America be a different place? But what we have done is say, okay... Timothy, it's your job as a pastor to do that. We're just going to sit on the sidelines and watch. But if you read the Bible, we're all in this called Great Commission, and we're called to go out and reach people and transform people. So I want you to think about that, that if you're a leader in a church, whether Sunday school teacher, whether over the women's ministry, men, whatever, that you're to be a servant leader. You're to walk in humility, and you're to realize that This is not my flock, my sheep. This is God's. He's the chief shepherd, and I'm just the under-shepherd. Amen? Number two, a thriving church, and this will hopefully apply to more people as we go down the list, is full of humble followers of Christ. Look at verses 5 through 7. It says, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to the elders. And for someone to say, Well, I'm not younger anymore. Well, it addresses you in the very next phrase. Yes, all of you, Be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Well, let me tell you a story about one time when I was humbled, since we're talking about pride. Um, I went to, uh, and Brother Chuck probably has worked out, the Haywood Re- Medical Center in Haywood County. It's this huge gym. They have this big pool. They have a basketball court. And they have one of those walking tracks, you know, above the court. Anybody ever done You make ten laps and equals a mile. So I started uh, jogging, and I felt pretty good. This was during the day, like lunchtime, where they're, most of the people that are working are working and the rest are senior adults. So it's me and senior adults and they're walking the track and I'm just like passing up all the senior adults and I felt so good until this one senior adult smoked me. He passed me by and I'm just like, this guy had to be in his 70s, maybe 80s. So I'm running this track and I see this guy pass me by and I'm like, oh no, you didn't. I mean, I'm 34, you got to be twice my age and this guy just kept running 
And it, for those of you who don't know me, when it comes to athletics, I'm not the best, but at least I'm very competitive. So what do I do? Do I let this guy pass me by? Oh, no. So I start chasing this guy down around Haywood Medical Center. I'm like, I'm not letting this. God bless you if you're in your 70s, but, I mean, beating me? So I started chasing this guy down, and I'm chasing him. And this guy must have been an Olympic runner because I could not catch him. And all of a sudden, I gave up, and I started walking, and I was so defeated. I'm just like, man, what, what's the deal? This guy, and he had the rudder shorts on, too, which is funny, you know. He had the rudder shorts, running. So it occurred to me, I had one of those epiphanies, the light bulbs above your head. And here's the thought that occurred to me. Timothy, run your own race. Don't try to, this is this guy's race. You don't know his story. You don't know if he was an Olympic runner. You don't know if he runs marathons. I don't care if he's 70 or 80. This guy's in better shape than you. Get over, just run your own race. So I was like, okay. So I started running. In the back of my mind, I'm running my own race, but I'm still trying to catch up with this guy. So eventually, I finally caught the guy right towards the end of my run. And as I look back on that, I realize, you know, whenever you're a little prideful, it just gets really deflated when someone comes along better, more talented, more gifted. And realize that anything good you got, here's a a saying, anything good, if you got it, God gave it, right? So everything we have is borrowed talent. If you're a musician and you sing, guess who gave you that gift? If you're a business person and you know how to make great resources, guess who gave you that entrepreneurial gift? Everything good, if you got it, God gave it. So that's why Peter says, listen... You've got to learn to be submissive. And submissive, submission is not a curse word. We, we, we throw that word out, and it's such a negative word. I mean, especially wives, like, don't even say that word around my husband, right, because he uses it against me. But what the word submission means is to yield. Imagine if you were driving on Hendersonville Highway, and you're getting ready to get on Crazy 26, always backed up, Right? And there's a yield sign as you merge on from Long Shoals. What if you said, well, forget this. I'm just going to keep going straight. What would happen if you avoided the yield sign? Head-on collision. Another wreck on I-26, right? So whenever the Bible says submit, it's not, it's not a bad word. It's actually a grace word. It's saying, listen, God has established relationships in workplace, in families, um, among friendships. And there are certain times for your own benefit that you yield. I'll give you an example. There are certain times when I have a great idea, I want to cook something at home, and my wife's like, that's a bad idea. I have to yield to her because she's better in that department. I am not a gourmet chef, right? My wife is much better. So in, in those areas where she has expertise, I'm not going to say, well, you need to submit to that. I need to, you know, come on. She's a better cook than me. So there's certain areas in life where God has placed people in your path that you just need to learn to yield because if you don't, you're not going to end up with a blessing. And everyone said, ouch or amen, right? So um, C.S. Lewis once said that there's something interesting about pride. He said you can see it in everybody else, but you can't see it in you. And the more pride you have, the more you detest it in others. And the only way to get rid of that is to purposely choose to humble yourself. Notice in that scripture it says, clothe yourselves with what? With humility. So in other words, it's not natural. You have to clothe yourself. In the original Greek, it paints a picture of someone that takes on the apron of a servant. And whenever you'd go to a Greco-Roman house in this day, and you saw someone with an apron, 
it would show you that that person is not a household guest. They were a slave. So what Peter's saying is when people look at you, you should be distinguished as someone that's willing to serve. No matter how powerful you are, no matter how gifted you are, isn't it amazing when you see people that are humble, that are exceptionally gifted? You know, that's, that's one of the most attractive things if someone is exceptionally gifted and yet they're humble. Isn't it great, guys, when your wife, your girlfriend, whoever, is so beautiful but they don't know they're beautiful? The opposite, you ever met a woman that knows she's beautiful and everyone else is like, you know, it's, it's humility. It's choosing to say whatever I have is a gift from God. Amen? I know it's, it's kind of an ouch. So let's look, let's look at the rewards for humility. In this scripture it says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And it says, submit yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in what? In due time. So here's, it's not on your outline, but if you'll take a notes, a few rewards for humility. God gives you more grace. Now I don't know about you, but I need all the grace I can get to make it in this world, living the life for Christ. I need every ounce of grace I need. So the Bible says whenever you're prideful, God withholds grace. Whenever you humble yourself, God opens the floodgates of grace. Whenever you're prideful, you say, God, I don't really need you. I can do it myself. Whenever you're humble, you say, God, I need you for every piece of my daily bread. Amen. So I don't know about you, but I want open hand from God, not a closed hand. God also helps you realize your need for him. The Bible says he doesn't resist you. He grants you strength and protection. Whenever it says get under the mighty hand of God, that's saying that God, you have his strength and you also have his protection. And notice it says that he may exalt you in what? In due season. Did you know all of you have a due season? If, if, if you walk in humility, life's not going your way, but you're keeping submitting to God, yielding to one another, loving one another, you're continuing to do the next right thing, all of a sudden your due season arrives. Let me give you a biblical example. Joseph. You remember at the age of 17, God gave him all these visions and dreams, and he's like, oh my goodness, this is amazing, a bright future. But was Joseph, do you guys think Joseph was humble at that point in his life? Probably not, right? He was telling everyone his dreams, and his brothers got angry at him. So over the next 13 years, he went through a series of trials. He got sold as a slave, ended up in Potiphar's house, got falsely accused, ended up in prison. And all of a sudden in prison, God saw his heart. He was beginning, his heart was beginning to be molded into leadership character. And he interpreted a dream for Pharaoh, and what happened to him? He ended up second in command, like vice president of Egypt. But that had to happen only when Joseph humbled himself. Have you guys heard the story about the two ducks and a frog? Once upon a time, on a sunny summer day, there is these two, what were they? Two ducks and a frog hanging out. And they were the best of friends. They would swim in this pond. But as you know, on hot summer sunny days, eventually the pond begins to evaporate. So the ducks and the frog were worried because they easily could fly off to another pond where there was more water. But the frog was stuck. He couldn't fly. He couldn't leap enough. So they came up with a plan. Their plan was this. We're going to grab a stick and we're going to hold it between our beaks. And frog, if you will just bite onto that stick, we will fly you to the next pond. So all of a sudden they grabbed this stick they thought would hold the frog. The two ducks 
bid on to it with their bills, and they took off flying. And the plan worked so well that as they were flying above this farm, the farmer looked up and said, well, how about that? I wonder who thought of that plan. And all of a sudden, the frog opened his mouth and said, I did. So, the parable of the frog, whenever you're prideful, you come to a crashing fall. So, when the Bible says, humble yourselves, it's for your own good. God wants you to soar, not to flop. Amen. You guys will be telling that story at lunch, right? All right, number three. A thriving church is aware of what's at stake. Sometimes we're not aware of this, and I'm glad we're not over-aware because we, we would be on scared mode all the time. But you and I have a real enemy. The Bible says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, he walks around seeking whom he may devour. Now, let's, let's talk about your enemy. Here's the intelligence report. If you're in the army, you know about intelligence reports. Why don't I give you an intelligence report on the enemy? Number one, he's your adversary. He's out to get you. He has a strategy to kill, steal, and destroy you. Number two, he's your accuser. The word devil means the accuser or the one who slanders you. Have you ever met somebody that had nothing but negative to say about you? How do you you like being around that person? You don't want to spend much time with them, do you? Well... Satan, according to the Bible, he accuses the brothers and sisters day and night. But you know the good news about it is we have a defense attorney, and he's never lost the case. And every time Satan accuses you, if you're in Christ, if you've received Christ, all of a sudden it says debt's paid in full. You have no, you have no accusation. This has already been declared innocent in court. So whenever Satan accuses you, know that Jesus has paid your debt. Amen. Also, he's on the prowl. He walks around like a roaring lion. I got a little video to show you. If you could get an idea of Satan, what it looks like, a lion that's on the prowl. Let's go ahead and play this video, a short little clip here. Kid at a zoo. Aren't you glad the glass was there? But that's, that's kind of a picture of God's protective hedge. Because if it wasn't for God's protective hedge, that lion would continue to come after us. But you know what? There's someone that's greater than he that's in the world. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's with you. He's for you. He's going to help you. Amen. So don't let Satan frighten you, but don't take him lightly either. Don't take him lightly because you have a real enemy. So how do you overcome your enemy? Well, the Bible says the first thing is resist him. Well, how do you resist the devil? I've I've seen people handle this different ways. Some, I think, are way out there. But some people see a demon around every corner, and they're casting out the demon of this and the demon of that. Is that really what's going on here? I don't think so. I think resist him is spiritual. I think whenever Satan comes against you, you know what the best thing to do is? Pray. The best thing to do is commit it over to God. Our friend, Pastor Steve Scoggins uh, in First Hendersonville, says it like this. Turn every care into a prayer. I thought that was really good. Turn every care into prayer. If you're having worries all night, here's just a little solution. Instead of worrying all night, turn it into all-night prayer meeting. And if Satan sees that every time he attacks you, you're praying more, maybe he'll leave you alone for a little while. Because he's like, every time I come after him, 
Every time I have to come after her, she turns it into a prayer meeting, and he's like, I'm going to back off. So the Bible says whenever you submit yourselves to God, you resist the devil, and eventually he'll flee from you. Notice it says, be steadfast in your faith. You know, we live in a world where everything's changing. We live in a world that changes by the moment. But you know, one thing that's steadfast is your faith. One thing that will never change as long as you stay grounded in Christ is your faith. 1 Corinthians 15.58 says it like this, Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. In other words, whatever you do for Christ will last for eternity. So keep on. Be encouraged. Don't let up. Be steadfast. Also have a balanced perspective of your situation. Notice it says the same sufferings are happening all around the world to your brothers. The idea of a lion. You notice it says he's a roaring lion. You ever research when a lion roars? You ever thought about when does a lion roar? Does anybody know? Typically when he's stalked out to prey and he's close enough to striking distance, a lion will roar right before pounces. So Satan, when it says he's roaring, it means that he's sought you and I out. And he has a strategy to defeat us. But if we will stay grounded in our faith, if we will put on the full armor of God, you know what? Satan can only get as, as far as the Lord will let him to. Did you know Satan's on a leash? You remember the book of Job where he had to come to God for permission to attack Job? So if you're walking with God, Satan can only get as far as God allows him. He's on a leash. To me, that makes me very excited that he's, he's restricted. If he was unrestricted, imagine how much more worse the world would be. Sir Edmund Hillary was the first to conquer Mount Everest. He made several attempts but kept on failing before he conquered Mount Everest. And on one unsuccessful attempt, he looked, looked up at Mount Everest and said, You will not defeat me anymore because you are as tall as you're going to get, but I'm still growing. You're as high as you're going to get, but I'm still growing. If Satan has defeated you, if you have fallen victim to him, the Bible says a just person may fall seven times, but what do they do? They get back up. So don't let Satan discourage you. Don't let him defeat you. We all sin and fall short of God's glory. But the Bible says if we'll just confess that to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us for all sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. The final point. What does a thriving church look like? A thriving church is composed of healthy relationships. You ever met somebody you just don't really get along with? Can't we just all get along? I remember in, um, I think I was in 8th or ninth grade, I, went, I switched to a new school. And I met this one guy that just got under my skin. I mean, he just, I'm sure I was really goofy, but he was even more goofy and crazy. And I'm just like, I just don't like this guy. And I found myself over time, and this was a Christian school, I felt myself over time not wanting to talk to the guy, thinking this guy's weird, just having negative thoughts, and it started producing bitterness inside of me. And I remember the Lord brought me under conviction. And I remember kneeling down at the altar at school. We had chapel on Wednesdays at the school I went to. And I remember praying, God, I'm having really bad thoughts towards this guy. He's a, he's a Christian, but I just I don't like him. And all of a sudden, the Lord just allowed me to give that to him. And what, what happened afterward was so interesting. Once I gave that to God, he took away the bitterness, took away the resentment towards this guy, and we became best friends. 
And we were best friends through high school and through college. And we even lived together in another state going to seminary. And think about that. If I would have let that grow in my heart, you know, I, I would have lost the best friend. In the same way in the church, it's composed of fallen people. I, I asked this, the question at the very beginning, how many of you would love to go to a perfect church? Well, newsflash, if you or I joined it, it would no longer be a perfect church, right? So there's no such thing as a perfect church. So whenever you find people that maybe you don't like, you don't get along, they're not like you, that's a great opportunity for God's love to grow deeper and stronger in your life. And I love how Peter closes out his epistle. He talks about Silas. If you notice Silas in the Bible, he's always behind the scenes. Ministry could not happen if it weren't for people like Silas. You remember Paul and Silas, right? He's always behind the scene. He's always working but not really getting the credit. Silas's make the church go forward because they're willing to do whatever it takes. Silas was like the utility guy. He's like, I'm willing to do whatever, whenever, because this is for Christ. This is, this is not for Paul. This is for eternity. Notice he mentions Mark. You guys know what happened to Mark in the Bible? He was the guy on one of Paul's missionary journeys. He's, he wigged out. He, I don't know if he missed his mom or what happened, but he went back home. And Paul's like, that guy, he, he's, he's a dropout. Listen, I'm not going to go with him. And you remember he and Barnabas had a fallen out. Paul went with Silas. And Barnabas, the one who was an encourager, took Mark and tried to encourage him. So I, I want you to think about Mark. He represents people who fall and mess up. How many of us, if we didn't get second chances, wouldn't be here today? The church is a place of truth, but it's also a place of grace. And John Mark's the example. Barnabas was able to encourage him. And eventually, Paul, at the end of his life, if you want to write this down, 2 Timothy 4.11, he said, get Mark and bring him with you because he's helpful for me in my ministry. Aren't you glad God gives second chances? Amen. Notice the affection here. It says, greet one another with a holy kiss. What would it look like at First Baptist Arden if when people walked through the door, it was like they got hit with a love bomb? It was just like, man, this place is so encouraging. You know the reason why people go to bars and clubs is they want to feel loved and accepted. What would it be like if the church was more welcoming, more loving than any other place you could go? What if you could not wait to go to church? What if church became the highlight of your week? You know, for many, it's becoming that here. And for my family, my wife, uh, some of my kids were sick today, so she couldn't be here. But what I love seeing in her, she's excited. She can't wait to go to church. And I'm like, sometimes you don't get that being a pastor's wife. But she cannot wait to be here with you guys. And I hope you guys feel the same, that the church, we're all imperfect people. But because of Christ, we're all united together, together in love. Amen. Your take-home truth is a thriving church, summarize this whole chapter, a thriving church is composed of people who are servant leaders, we're all to be servant leaders, who strive to have healthy relationships with one another. So as you guys go to your lunch and talk about this, a few talk questions. Number one, what does a servant leader look like? You could ask, what does it not look like? Have you ever met somebody that was a celebrity leader and there was a servant wasn't anything near what they were living? Number two, how are you doing in the humility department? As I mentioned, this is hard because if you're prideful, you're, you're the last one to know it. Everyone knows it but you. So how, how do you cultivate humility? And number three, how do we make Arden First a place where healthy relationships abound? 
How do we become a place of grace? How do we become a place where if you get on someone else's nerves, you do kind of like what I had to do. Give it to God and say, God, use this, heal this, take this out. Because you know what? We're all going to get each other's nerves if you're family. How many of you, sometimes your family gets on your nerves? All right. Don't point at the person next to you. The church is a spiritual family. And just like your natural family, you stick together, you work it out, you know, along the journey. There will be some misunderstandings, but family sticks together. Family works it out. Amen. All right, let's give a preview for next Sunday so you guys can invite your friend. We're doing a three-part series called We Have a Dream. And this is going to be the summation of the last ten Wednesday nights and five-hour staff retreat we did. We want to give you guys the highlight reel of what God's doing, of we have a dream that God is doing something great in this church. So if you guys are visiting, just checking the church out, the next three weeks will give you a picture of what God is doing and will do at Arden First. Let's pray together. Father, your word is challenging. I know myself, as I, as I read the, those 14 verses in 1 Peter 5, many, many points I fall short. Many points I have to kneel before you and say, God, forgive me and help me. God, I pray that we would be a church that's known for love. I pray that we'd be a church that's known for humility. That when people walk in, no matter how gifted or successful or like thereof, the footing is level at the cross. We're fellow heirs with Christ. And Father, I'm wondering right now if there's someone here that would say, Pastor Timothy, you know, life has not been easy. And you read in 1 Peter 5, 7 how I can cast my cares upon Christ because He cares for me. And today I have some cares I want to give to Him. Just pray for me that God will help me with what I'm dealing with. If that's you, raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Thank you. See those hands. Father, you see the hands lifted to heaven. You know what each and every one's going through. Father, my prayer is that you would take their cares and know that Jesus richly loves them. And Jesus will help them with whatever they're going through, Father. So I pray that you would encourage them and help them. Final question, and we'll have our hymn of invitation. Would being one here that would say, Timothy, you talked about being in Christ and having a relationship with God. And You know what? I, I believe that Jesus is who he said he is. He's God. But I've never received him. And today I need to, I need to invite Christ into my life. And friend, if you need to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's your heart reaching out to God. Just a prayer of faith. Say something like, Dear God, I need you in my life. I ask and pray that you would forgive me of my sins. Jesus, I believe that you are God, that you are good, that you died and you rose again for my sins. And I place my faith in you. Please, Jesus, make me a brand new person. I make you my Lord and Savior. Friend, if you prayed that prayer during the invitation, I'd encourage you to come down and talk with me. Father, you see our hearts. Thank you, Lord, that Arden First is a church where grace is found here, where love is found here, where truth is found here. Help us have the balance, Lord, of being a church that's full of grace and full of truth. Not erring on one side or the other, being full of grace and full of truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Now God's children said, Amen. This time we're going to have our hymn of invitation. If you'd like to join the church, if you need a prayer over something, or you want to pray to receive Christ, just come on down. Adam and I will be at the front if you'll stand with me. Thank you.